They met in prison, where she served as a Christian volunteer and school teacher, and he was serving a 25-year sentence. Hey, I'm Allie Domersant. This is a snapshot testimony from John and Mary. Married for 40 years with one of the most unique love stories I've ever heard. It started in a Missouri federal prison where Mary felt called to minister and share the love of God. That's where she met John, a prison inmate who was bitter, angry, and wanted nothing to do with God. And that's putting it mildly. He was a stone-cold, non-communicative, unfriendly person. (laughs) And (laughs) with a scowling face. So he's standing there, and this phrase is banging around in my head. It was good to see you in church on Sunday, John. It just, it just banged around in my head. I thought, well, all right, I'll go ahead and say it. <laughs> so I said it, and he, and he looks at me and frowns, and he says, well, that's nice, but it didn't do me any good. And he turned on his heel, and he sat down. I thought, oh, well. <laughs> so, now, now, the way I saw it. Okay, yeah, John. <laughs> the two witnesses don't see the same thing the same Very way. Very true. Give me your side. I had developed a almost militant attitude the way I looked at life. I contested this free will with the fact that we do not have the choice to be born. Mm. We do not choose who our parents will be. We don't choose whether we will be loved or rejected, whether we will be born in the Gold Coast or the ghetto. And if you come up short on all those points... Well, here I am half my life in prison. Yeah. So the other routine I did while I was in prison was go down to the learning center. And I was not expecting this young lady to tell me she was happy to see me in church yesterday as if she knew me because I made it a point not to know the ladies that worked there. (laughs) Uh, you know, I'm used to prisons like Stateville and Menard and Marion, you know, where it's a little more coarse and rough, and uh, this is almost too much kumbaya. <laughs> so I um, said what I said and turned around and walked away. That night, I uh, I was laying in bed, and the thought crossed my mind, I may have offended her. Oh, boy. And that bothered me more, that I had a that I was bothered by offending her because I had no remorse for any of the crimes that I had committed, namely because there were just too many. I couldn't individualize who I had, you know, victimized in the robberies and the car thefts and the burglaries and those sorts of things. But I wanted to go down and apologize to Mm. her. The prisoners knew who Mary was. And Mary came from a affluent, wealthy family in Springfield. So it's almost a question is why is she out here in the first place? Yeah. And so the only way I was going to get any sleep was say, okay, I'm going to go down there and apologize to her, you know. Oh, okay. So that's how you saw her a second time. Right. And I basically repeated to her what I just told you and that if I uh, offended you, you know, I didn't mean to. (laughs) Okay. And then she said, at one point she said, do you believe there's a God? And I said, well, I believe there's somebody up there running this place, you know. And I qualified it by saying, look, God has never done anything for me. Hmm. And I have never done anything for God. We're even. Wow. And she asked me and she said, 
have you ever asked him? And I said, Ooh. ask him what? And she said, have you ever asked him, you know, for anything in life? And then I think at, at one point in one of the conversations, I had to be a little more firm with her. You know, she kept following everything I said with the scripture that I could not refute because I did not know scripture. <laughs> and I said, look, I said, I have been in prison all my life. I'm probably going to spend the rest of my life in prison. And I don't need God to help me do that. And again, I turned and walked away. So Mary, what happened? So I knew that I could never change anybody, you know, but I felt the Lord calling me there and the Lord would have to be changing somebody. Yeah. So, um, I was not going in there looking for a husband. <laughs> John Understand is not, not the kind of guys I had dated. Um, so, so anyone listening is going, well, how in the world exactly. did this happen? Yes, right. Basically, we were just just brother and sister in Christ. I could not start a conversation with the guys unless they did with me about Christ, you know. Mm-hmm. And so... He he just started to blossom as a person. You know, there are all kinds of good things he started doing. And so, when did I start to blossom? After you accepted Christ. Yes, but I haven't to, told you that yet. Okay, but well, but it was never a romantic relationship never. when he was in prison. We get this picture. You've spent much of your life in prison. You thought mm-hmm. you'd end up dying in prison. God can't do anything for me here anyway. Right. What changed you? Well, Mary came over at one point, and I was being resistant. And I guess I was sort of liking the interchange we were having every Mm -hmm. day. Uh, I have to go back to a vow I took 10 years previously. Uh, I had an occasion when my father died. Mm. I was in reform school in the hole, and I was called in, and they started inquiring, you know, what, how my father's relationship was and I hadn't seen him in nine years and I couldn't remember he did anything for me. Maybe he took me to one ball game and out of all that, they said, well, we don't think you should feel too bad that your father is dead. And that's how they told me. Oh, wow. Uh, So I went back to my cell and I cried and then I wiped my tears and I said, I don't care how bad life gets. I will never shed another tear. And hmm. and just to add on, it was these, these are vows. I would never take another friend yeah. in my life and let nobody get close enough to hurt me. Hmm. So Mary came over and she says, I've told you everything I know about Jesus, and you can either re- accept him or reject him. And I think this ought to be the last paragraph of every book on discipleship. She said, because if you accept him, the promises of God are yours. Mm. But if you reject them, the consequences of life are on your shoulders. And then she turned and walked away. Because I looked back and she was gone. Wow. Um, so that night, you know, started led, okay, you got to make a decision. And the one thing that cautioned me, I was not going to do something that I failed at. Hmm. because I had failed at everything. Hmm. And if this was going to be the last hope I had, you know, I didn't want to fail. But she, but what pressed me was she said, God could change my life, not me. 
And so in my prayer, I say, God, I have no hope and I can offer no help. Uh, it's all going to have to be you. Hmm. But if what Mary says that you can change my life, then I accept your son as my savior. When I said the word savior, hmm. I started to bawl. And I don't mean a little cry. I mean crying like your mother died. And I could not stop it. I did not know where it came from. Um, it just welled up inside of me like, you know, an emotion that took over my body. Now, you don't f cry freely in prison, so except for if your mother dies. But for my benefit, there was a raging storm outside that was sh shaking the bars, and hopefully most of that covered up my sobbing. And then it stopped, stopped as quick as it started. And I didn't know it then. I had to look up because I didn't know scripture. And the closest scripture I could come to was Ezekiel 36, where he's speaking to Israel. And he said, I will take out your heart of stone and give you a new heart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when I woke up the next morning, but I went down to the learning center, and I told Mary, I finally did it. And she said, you finally did what, John? And I said, I accepted the Son of God oh. as my Savior. And when I said the Savior a second time, now she'll tell it differently. I saw her jump in the air, <laughs> click her heels, <laughs> have the biggest <laughs> smile on her face she could possibly have. <laughs> and she looked very pretty. <laughs> did you jump in the air? I I did a little, you know, a little hoppy thing. <laughs> very. <laughs> it was a discreet, but it was a little jump. <laughs> Describe how you felt hearing this. Oh, my goodness. I was so happy. I was happy and careful. And, you know, John was very... He was mindful of the fact that I was there for everybody. So he was never a hog on my time. Sure. Um, but, you know, after the service or whatever, we would walk uh, down the hall together until the doors clanged shut in that particular part of the hall and and talk, you know. But, again, I had to be there for everybody. So um, I did not have any romantic feelings about John. I was just, you know, grateful that that he got saved. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I didn't allow myself to have any kind of feelings like that until seven years later after he got out. What in the world happened then? I never made parole for the most part. I went to parole board five times, but I thought I would get closer to home. So I transferred from Springfield, Missouri to the Metropolitan Correctional Center down here in the South Loop. And I had moved up to Illinois. And she had moved before. to Evanston. Oh, wow. Years, years before. Yeah. And I had fallen in love with her. Oh. But I always phrased it in the context of another time, another place. Yeah. We were from the opposite side of the tracks. I shared that with uh, uh, one of my spiritual godmothers who was a volunteer down in Springfield, and I told her I was giving up hope. She said, never give up hope. Mm. And so what am I going to do with that? 
So that's always in the back of my mind. So she came up and visited me two or three times, other times with elders, and they offered a small group came up, not a small group she was in, and they came up Christmas Eve. <laughs> in all the years I've done in prison, I had never had a visit uh, on Christmas Eve, and matter of fact, I even... I could count the visits on one hand out of 18 years. And I met them for the first time. And then the woman, the house manager, said, what are you doing tomorrow? Oh, let me check my schedule. <laughs> I'm doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm free. <laughs> Always doing nothing. They came back Christmas Day. And so that told me something about their commitment and so when I got out... They took him under their arm, you know, yes. basically. Mm -hmm. they, they became a small group. He put me in a household that grew to five single women and the elder and his wife. Not probably the place you would take a man fresh out of prison. And uh, everybody thought I should have been over in another small group that was mostly men. But no, God used these women... Because I didn't have relationships with women. Yeah. Uh, and so they are all my sisters then and today, 40 years later. They are still my best friends. Oh. Um, and so that was sort of a grooming, you know, uh, before I approached Mary. Now I'm going through a lot of transitions, making it into society. Mm -hmm finding jobs, being satisfied with jobs, being not satisfied with jobs. But what I had that I would not have had if I was alone in some halfway house is that I could come home and have a prayer group that would pray yeah. about everything that I went through. So, Mary, I want to get you in here. How did you re-enter his life? So as he's adjusting, kind of he's being discipled, he's being mentored, he's adjusting to jobs. And how did you re-enter the picture? The night before he got out, he didn't think he was going to get out. And I committed him to the Lord. And also I just asked, Lord, do you want any kind of, uh, you know, serious relationship? Um, and I felt the answer was no. I believe the answer was actually no, not yet. But if I'd heard the not yet, it would have been as good as a yes. <laughs> so when he he actually ended up getting out, and that was an amazing story, how that got turned around in, in one night, um, I was free to relate to him just as my as a brother in Christ. Okay. And, and I basically turned him emotionally and spiritually, turned him over to that small group, some of whom were my, my good friends, you know. Then uh, I began just kind of saying, okay, Lord, um, do I have any feelings? Let me see. I don't, I have some feelings for another brother. And I, and that kind of got explored a little bit, but it didn't go anywhere. And so I said, well, let me write down, I, I wrote down what I had feelings for that brother. And it was about a half a page. Well, let me write down what I think about John, you know, and I wrote and I wrote, well, this is interesting. Did it <laughs> surprise wrote, wrote, you? Yes, did those it did. Feelings yes, I wrote so many. You? Yes. What did you see in him? First of all, I watched with the other inmates, how they viewed him. And, and he began to grow into a very respectable person. You know, he, he taught umpire school. He was the editor of the prison paper, photographer. He was the chaplain's secretary. 
And then I was also watching what the staff thought of John and, and the volunteers. And I saw that they really respected John and they were actually going out on a limb in some amazing kind of ways. I needed to know that his life was built on Jesus, not on me. I was not his savior. Jesus mm. is his savior. And I had to know that. So it took a long time, actually, you know, to see that. And and during that five-year, that about a five-year period of time, I was actually deepening my relationship with the Lord. I went on this period of time where I, I just opened my heart to the Lord, and I experienced him cherishing me in a very much in a deeper way than I ever had before. And after that kind of season, I said, okay, Lord, I could be single for the rest of my life. I just need to be around family, but I could really be single with, as long as I've got you. <laughs> and then interestingly, it was shortly after that, that that the whole thing of the feelings and, you know, I was at a better place. Um, the Lord had work in me, yeah. to, you know, to do. So anyway, it progressed very slowly, and we both submitted the whole thing to guidance from our elders. And we both come from families of divorce, um, and obviously we're all, we were on different sides of the track, and you've heard some of John's past story and everything. When he did ask me to marry him and I said yes, um, we, we submitted that to the elders for their confirmation, and they came back about two two weeks later, you know, and said, we confirm this with joy. So we had a beautiful two-hour wedding with all <laughs> kinds of wonderful celebration, <laughs> dances, music, and everything. In our rings, it's uh, Psalm 1823. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes because it really is a story that God wrote. You know, we could not have written it. <laughs> it's it's beautiful. John, I'm going to give you the final word here. So you, you're now 40... How many years have you been married? We've been married 41 years. 41. 78. And we met in our 20s. 41 years in. What do you say about this woman that God gave you? What about, what do you say about this wild story that got you to the altar? God has always had our back. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's taken us through some uh, trials. um, And she has always been, she has always had my back. Yeah. I call her a pioneer woman, pioneer standards, and she's been a helpmate. Oh. What she was meant to be. I said it's not surprising that she's turning into a, a good photographer being the artist she already is. Yeah. And having a key keen eye on finding things. I mean, <laughs> she found me a diamond in the rough. <laughs> <laughs> and God, God polished me off and gave me to her and then her to me. Snapshot Testimony is a Moody Radio podcast and short feature. I'm your host, Allie Domersant. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And if you have a story you'd like to share with me, I'd love to hear it. Please head to the website snapshottestimony.org. Together, we're celebrating those pivotal moments that mark a life of faith. Hey, thanks for listening. <laughs>